Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia, I'm here with Joel, and we are sitting across from Annabelle Crabb. Welcome. Hello, thank you very much for having me here in your unusual um, tiny, tiny module. <laughs> it's like a fake uh, lounge room, but with three people and all this sound gear in it. We try and make it cosy. <laughs> Whether or not we succeed is completely It's got a slightly creepy vibe, but anyway. It does, yeah. It does. <laughs> Particularly that sheet over there. Don't, don't, look, don't, look, at the don't look at the sheet. Don't look too close. And, uh, uh, for people wondering why the sound is different to previous episodes, we're recording on different equipment because we can't get it working. That is my presence. As Lee Sales will tell you, I can take a working piece of recording equipment from functional to beyond repair just by my own presence. Just by being there. Yep. A sort of zone of exclusion. Well, that's good to hear. It's a skill. I don't go on about it, but, you know. Well, anyway, thank you so much for joining us. You're here to talk to us about your quarterly essay. Yes, I am. Work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as a young dad, found was so on board with reading this and Good. so excited um, to, be able to, to be able to talk to you about it because it's totally in my wheelhouse right now. Right, because you've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. A two-year-old right? and a four-year-old. So it's, um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So there's a lot going on at the moment at my house and both me and my partner work full time so we have to, there's a lot of balancing that goes on. I feel yeah. Um, so I found it, there's so many things to talk about in this but one of the things I think um, is most interesting and at the core of the essay is this idea that there's a give and take between um, men's rights in the, in the workplace and women's rights when it comes to um, flexibility and mm-hmm. parental leave and you can't really look at just women's rights and being family friendly without talking about how men are disadvantaged when it comes to flexibility. Right. And I think that, I think, honestly, for decades, we've had this real problem with joining the dots when we talk about gender and workplace culture and the domestic division of labour and so on. Um, And this is something that I started writing about and thinking about in The Wife Drought, which I wrote um, in, I think, 2014. But it just completely puzzles me that we kind of have all this head scratching about, you know, why women are underrepresented in kind of leadership positions or in senior roles in lots of organisations. And then we kind of head scratch a bit about why they do more of the domestic work. And we don't join those dots together and see that the way people behave at work is like really closely associated with what the hell is going on for them in the rest of their lives and the decisions that um, women make about how they work are often really tied to the decisions that are available to um, quite often the men that they're in a relationship with. So as long as women and men still get together and have babies, then you've got this connection. And often I think we we take too little notice of that. Also, I mean, what I've written about in this essay is really about men's experience at work and we're we're sort of cutting women out of the picture and just saying, look, why do they decide, you know, not to take parental leave, even if it's officially available to them? Because I think this is a really hidden phenomenon where there are companies and employers that do have a parental leave scheme, but somehow on this sort of deep and molecular level, the dads know that it's not really for them, you know? Mm. And you do have this amazing, like, when you actually strip it back and look at it and look at the behaviour, it's so bizarre the different standards that there are for men and women in lots and lots of organisations where women are, you know, it's expected that when they get pregnant, you know, they'll probably be asking for flexible work or to return to work part-time or certainly for parental leave, whereas it's still kind of mildly surprising if 
you know, a, a, the father of a, a young um, baby does the same thing. And I think that's so bizarre because, you know, in the last 50 years, women have changed a lot in terms of how we manage our lives and it's now more likely than not that we'll be in the paid workforce um, when we're parents. Um, but yet the evolution of how men manage work and family just has, it hasn't happened, you know. Mm. And there's this absolutely terrifying graph. There's only one graph in the, uh, graph. In the essay, I know, right? <laughs> and so that graph was compiled by this great researcher called Jennifer Baxter, who works at the Australian Institute for Family Studies. If you go to the AIFS and look at um, uh, some of their great pieces of work on uh, on fathers and parenting and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's her work. She's really, really terrific um, so she put together it's just this very simple graph that shows you the average experience of men and of women um, over the first 12 years of their child's life right <clears throat> so it shows you what happens to their rate of domestic how many hours of domestic work they do a week how many hours of childcare they do a week and then how many hours of paid work they do a week and the disparity between the experiences of men and women are just so visually shocking that um, Jennifer says that um, whenever she shows this graph, <laughs> people just go, <gasps> and it is a bit like that. I felt that it. way, honestly. Right? Because it. it kind of, those sorts of graphs kind of crystallise the things that you think are probably happening mm. just from, and you know, all of us know all sorts of different kind of people, right? Like, you know, all of us know stay-at-home dads. All of us know stay-at-home mums. All of us know to double income, full full um, uh, full time workers. All of us know single parents. Like we all know this whole sort of uh, rainbow of different arrangements. But when you look at the average, um, the average set of circumstances, or how across this whole nation people generally work things mm. out, it's just it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing how little's changed, particularly that, for that. Um, Considering sort of it's women have been in the workforce for over a century. Right, yeah. And we have a prime minister of a country who has a newborn baby as yeah. and is still mm -hmm. running the country. Mind you, people freaked out a lot about that. Oh. <laughs> that was a big That's freak the out. jumping off point for the essay, isn't it? Is the disparity between how Jacinda Ardern is treated yeah. compared to how Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg are treated. Right. When they have, the, as you say, the first two deputy, not deputy and leader Treasurer and, Prime Treasurer and Prime Minister combo with primary school aged children. Yeah. And literally nobody asks them about it at all. <laughs> and it was just not that long <laughs> since everybody had absolutely lost their shit about Jacinda Ardern and oh my god, how's she going to manage? And when, um, I mean, it was such a crazy week when Malcolm Turnbull was tipped out. You know, like at the beginning of the week it was like, wow, is Peter Dutton going to be the Prime Minister? And then by the end of the week it was like, no, it seems that Scott Morrison's <laughs> going to be the Prime Minister. And then, you know, suddenly there's Josh Frydenberg. And so it took a while for that all to settle in and like, oh, okay, here's our new Prime Minister and Treasurer. And I remember like on day two, I'm like, wait, that's interesting. They've both got little kids, right? And I mean, Josh's kids uh, were um, very little, still, you know, he's got a preschooler and whatever. Um, and I thought, huh, isn't that funny? Like, and then I thought, I can't remember the last Prime Minister and Treasurer combo that had both had little kids. And then I started kind of doing a bit of casual Googling and I'm like, huh, wow. And then worked out it was not since the mid-70s, which is when 
Malcolm Fraser appointed uh, John Howard mm. his treasurer. So this is kind of an unusual thing. These two guys have both got young children and they're juggling these huge jobs and not one person even asked, you know. Whereas if, if it had been like, you know, Nicola Roxon and Tanya Plibersek or, you know, Kelly O'Dwyer and, you know, whoever else, I mean, that would have been question number one, right? Yeah. Like, wow, how are you going to work this out? And it, for me, it just really, it threw into such clear focus the differing expectations we have on parents in politics, depending on whether they are mothers or fathers. And it's something that you see through the broader workplace as well. Mm. And the, the, the fact that they didn't even know how to answer it when you did finally ask them, that, that it was know. almost like a language barrier. Right, and I mean, look, I, I don't mean this in any way to suggest that those two are not massively, you know, engaged yeah. fathers, um, or, you know, because they are both inordinately close to their kids, I think. Um, but it's just, it struck me because you know, as a person who has been a working mother for, um, you know, 12 years now, I, you know, I, it is probably, for example, on Lee's and my podcast, whenever we do live events or question and answers, it's how do you juggle everything is like the question number one. And I think it's a, like, it's a bloody good question because and it's the, the question that I always want to ask people too. Oh, how do you make all this stuff work? Um, and I think that working mothers have been learning from each other that stuff for a long time and all of us have got this kind of almost like a laminated little card in our purses like like well this is how it works in our house um but what i found when i asked um the prime minister and the treasurer about it was that i had to kind of rephrase the question a couple of times even to make it clear what i was talking about and both of them sort of said oh you know they basically said because this is true look you know our spouses do most of the day-to-day -day stuff and you know we're trying to skype when we can and you know do all that sort of stuff but um that you know i, I was sort of like well who wants to you know i wanted to know like who takes them to the dentist <laughs> you know who does pick up what happens when they're sick you know um so I just I think there's a language that women have around managing that stuff that is sort of it, it just isn't on the whole um, spoken by men and that's mm. partly because we have an expectation that that's not their job or that that's you know not something where they are the last person standing to pick that stuff up now um, and look, this essay, by the way, is not a massive whine about that. Um, I, I genuinely think, like looking back at my own kind of life and career, like I've totally changed the work, the, the way that I work to reflect the other demands on my time. And that has led to all sorts of really interesting ideas that I would never have had if I'd just always had someone else looking after my children and never had to change my hours or think, okay, how am I gonna still have a job and still have job satisfaction, but also deal with all this other stuff that I've now got to do. Mm. And that actually has been a great professional boon, as well as a great pleasure to be able to spend time with my children. Yeah. And I think seriously, you know, women get chucked into that because they have the baby, there's this physical event that takes them away from work and then they think, oh, well, what can I change up? How can I change? Whereas I think men miss out from not having that. I think it's a really, I mean, men get it when they get made redundant or, you know, they used to, they used to have it when they got conscripted. <laughs> but you know, that's it's been a while since anyone got conscripted. So um, I do think, while I would never argue that, you know, 
all men desperately want to pop off and you know look after babies or whatever i do think what research there is shows that millennial fathers in particular like um, younger fathers do want to work more flexibly do want to be more involved are conscious that the expectations of them as fathers are more profound and deeper than the expectations on their fathers were and yet they've got this really they've got a spidey sense that like it's not necessarily going to be cool all the time with their employers and I think that's it's really sad it's really you know, it is I mean I it, when I got this job I you know 100% planning on doing 50% of the parenting because yep. my partner is full-time employed as well. Yeah. And so it was part of the conversation at the very yep. beginning and I was terrified. Yeah. I was really worried that if I asked, I, I had to make it clear from the beginning, I'm going to need to be able to leave. I'm going to be doing pickups. Yeah. My partner's yeah, doing like drop-offs. That's the split that Confessing to your in. drug habit. But you know, you need to, <laughs> look, I've got a bit of a shoplifting thing. Yeah. <laughs> also. Um, and they yeah. were fantastic. I'm not saying yeah. that, that, but I was really worried about it. And right. I don't think every workplace... Because you think yes. maybe if I'm up for this position, there'll be another guy who mm. doesn't, you know, have those complications. And right? that would definitely be the case in a workplace that doesn't involve so many books sure. and women. Yeah, well, I mean, the publishing industry <laughs> the is, is lady heavy, right? <laughs> but the interesting, I mean, while we're on, um, one thing that I thought about um, actually more recently than I should have was, um, you know, there's heaps of um, female-dominated professions like and publishing is a mm. really good example right and those employers tend to have really good parental leave schemes and well okay <laughs> it's, they tend to have disproportionately okay. have to pay so, right. so much more yes that's right so what, what what i i don't mean really good parental leave schemes i mean they have regularly used parental yes. leave schemes right so essentially, they're kind of subsidising the employers of those women's husbands, Absolutely. right? Which you is put like, that in the essay. I, that was really eye-opening. I know. I thought, I'd never thought about it. I've never thought about it either until I was giving a speech at something. It was actually around when I released The Wife Drought. And, um, and this woman, this great woman came up for a bit of a chat afterwards. And she just said, oh, look, you know, I've got a um, workplace that's quite female-dominated. And I, you know, I offer a good parental leave package but I'm sometimes really shitty that all of my staff's husbands don't take any parental leave so it's my staff that are you know taking leave and then also I'm you know working out flexible work for them and whatever and I just think I wish that those husbands employers would put in a bit because I feel like I'm you know raising the next generation here and I think she probably has a bit of a point. I, I absolutely yeah. agree with that I think mm. that's really true I think it comes down to even when I remember the feeling of going through the policies of my mm -hmm. employer contract at the time yeah. that I knew my son was going to be born. I wasn't working here. <laughs> and there's all this like disadvantageous language uh -huh. yep. about primary and secondary care right. that you realize, you, even though I wanted to take more leave, yeah. and in the end I didn't take the two weeks allocated for, by the government, yeah. I, I took it as annual leave because yeah, I right. could get it more of it and get paid. Yeah. Uh, okay. Whereas yeah. just taking two weeks off unpaid yeah. uh, or paid <laughs> minimum wage by the government, it wasn't as appealing yeah. <laughs> as actually doing it properly. Well, one thing that I kind of discovered while I was writing this essay was, because um, I was reading these headlines um, about uh, litigation in the US, right, where like they don't have a public paid parental leave scheme. Like they're the only remaining Western country that doesn't have one. Australia was the second to last Western country to get a public paid parental leave scheme, and ours is like really 
bumping along at the bottom in terms of its generosity and scope. Like it's pretty minimal mm. compared to some of these kind of annoyingly comprehensive schemes in Europe and specifically Scandinavia, which I do go into <laughs> for a my, little bit, but only as much as is bearable. In, in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, just God, Norway, damn Every time. Uh, every time. <laughs> With your sovereign wealth fund, you smug But anyway. even Britain, my partner's British. Yeah, well, Britain. She was actually horrified. really good. Yeah, I mean, horrified. Apparently good. But what's hap- what happens in the states is that you know big employers use parental leave as a um, as a recruitment tool, right? Mm. Like, so I mean, they have all sorts of other recruitment tools there, like you know health cover and stuff like that that you don't actually otherwise get. So like, but. Um, there are a few big companies in the last few years that have faced litigation from fathers because they were rejected access to the company paid parental leave scheme because they weren't women. And um, there's one guy in particular who um, who was you know applied for the primary carer leave that his company offered, didn't make any mention of gender, but he was rejected unless he could prove that his wife was congenitally, you know, unsuited to caring for the child. Like, anyway, and so he, you know, this is a big investment bank, and he just sued them. And he won. I mean, well, they settled it because he totally had a point, right? Yeah. And then they had to step in and, um, uh, and recompense other fathers who missed out. Anyway, I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if anyone in Australia has sued their employers for this sort of thing. Because in in Australia, there's heaps of company policies that refer to the primary carer, but kind of pretty much mean women. And um, anyway, there aren't any, really, because um, in in Australia, our Sex Sex Discrimination Act specifically has a carve-out allowing companies to discriminate against men in the area of parental leave, childbirth, and entitlement. So, like, our anti-discrimination legislation says, yeah, that's all right, <laughs> you can discriminate against men, which is, like, it's sort of a I bit mind-blowing. I know, right? I remember <laughs> Right, yeah, me neither. Because <laughs> I actually rang the Sex Discrimination Commission, I'm like, is that so what's some... Well, she alerted that. me to it. Because <laughs> I, said, I said, look, I can't find any... Um, case law, I can't find any instances of anyone suing. And she said, oh, yeah, that's because uh, it's legal. <laughs> it's legal <laughs> discrimination. I know. And I just think, okay. So, like, you know, the Sex Discrimination Act was written in the 80s and that was actually intended to eliminate discrimination in the workplace against women, right? Um, and, I, and so all of this time it's been, look, it's actually acceptable to say to a father, well, you are a lesser parent than a mother, mm-hmm. or you don't need um, parental leave. Now, I accept that, you know, um, this, this comes from sort of the notion of accouchement leave, that, you know, a mother needs time to recover from the birth, which totally, 100% agree. Um, of course, she does, like you. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, babies uh, continue to still need care after they've been breastfed, yeah. you know, like, you don't just forget that you've got to keep well, up. Well, and the kids. fact that most people take women take a whole year or close to a whole yeah, year yeah yeah and the only real reason for that is because that's the entitlement because and that's and that it goes back it to goes, 1972 when the Whitlam government legislated um uh, maternity leave which would be like 12 weeks of paid leave this is for the federal public public service and i mean this is only three years no this is only about five years after 
the federal public service abolished the rule where if you're a woman you got married you had to quit your job like so think of that kind of neck snapping degree of change you know all of a sudden you know five years ago you had to quit your job if you got married and now all of a sudden yeah you can have a year's maternity leave and um, 12 weeks of it will be paid. I mean, it's amazing. And yet from there, it took till 2010 till to we get have yeah, actual yeah. public. Well, this is, these things change slowly. And so I think, you know, men are kind of running a bit behind this argument because there's still this sense of um, real trepidation with some men about applying for parental leave. Also, I mean, our public scheme is payable to the birth mother, right? So you apply for the public scheme, which is like, it's it's very restricted in the sense that it's um, paid at the um, at the minimum wage rather than at replacement wage for, for reasons that I think are sensible. Um, and it's also um, means tested as well, um, which is another thing that differentiates it from those sort of lush European schemes that we look at so <laughs> jealously. And then, so it's applied for by the woman, like the birth mother, and then she can assign a balance or some of that leave to her partner, um, male or female, um, if she has one, and if that partner also kind of um, fulfills the income requirements and so on. And yeah. and just it just hardly ever happens. No. You know, like So of the nine years that the federal scheme's been in operation, less than one half of one percent of the recipients are men. That doesn't surprise me in the least. No. And the knock-on effect of that is, you are the one applying for it as a mum, and therefore you become the the, the locus for yep. dealing with government yes, administrat administrative stuff. While you're there, can you take can you care of the Medicare? Yeah. And now oh. that it's all linked together, oh. my, my, my partner, also my your job. ends up doing all this <laughs> right. stuff. It's not her job. Right, but, but this it, is it's a too, really... It's very difficult to split that stuff up. Uh -huh. The system is not designed for all that children's administrative government stuff to be under two parents' Exactly. Accounts. And this is just a, another example of the assumptions that we make about raising babies and children, which is there will be one person who's in charge of that stuff. Mm. And look, I mean, 50 years ago when you had heaps more stay-at-home mothers, then, okay, that makes some sense. But now, you know, that's really changed. And it's more likely than not that you will have two incomes in a household. Now, the tricky thing for women is that they've hung on to all of that responsibility and domestic work as well mm. as having to earn an income in most circumstances. So that's where, I mean, that's why you see this sort of incredible increase in anxiety and kind of stress among, I mean, those HILDA surveys that are done reliably um, find that the most stressed out people in Australia are working mothers with young children. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so what's, what's the key to unlocking this? It's just, sometimes it's just going back and looking at the assumptions that we make and just thinking, Right, well, how could that work differently? And, like, I've got some examples, because I don't want this to be just a giant, like, oh, my God, everything is so rubbish no, kind I'm of not, rant. I but it was quite, pra like, surprisingly so, practical. So, I mean, there are some companies that are really looking at this stuff, and they're driven in part, I think, by the fact that they're all in competition for talent, right? Mm. And they're aware that you've got this cohort of um, fathers coming up that are um, that want to do things differently and if they can offer um, uh, flexible work 
um, packages to prospective employees. They've discovered that you know people are become more loyal. They are um, they think better of their employer. They are more productive as well um, when they work flexibly. So there are companies that are really putting their minds to this. And one of the ones that I use as an example in the essay is Medibank, which changed the way it operated when it was privatised um, a few years back, not very long ago. And they um, they decided to just completely retool their parental leave offering because they knew that it was sort of, they were losing, if women took parental leave and were away for two years, something like 75% of them did not come back, right? They were losing a lot of women after one year and then nearly all of them by, you know, if they stayed away for longer. Mm. So they're like, well, how do we work this out? And they talked to a lot of their people in the relevant kind of age bracket and discovered that really it wasn't the, the money or the whatever, it was just like, how do you organise your lives? And they worked out that actually one of the best things they could do would be to lift all restrictions on who could like identify as a primary parent or whatever. So about a year and a half ago, they introduced this new system where it doesn't matter if you're the father or the mother or the primary care or whatever, if you've had a baby or you've adopted or, you know, surrogate or whatever, um, then you're entitled to, I think it's 14 weeks um, at full pay and you can take it in one chunk or you can take it in two chunks or you can stay at work the whole time and take you know and work a two or three day week until the leave has run out or whatever and that is what really switched things for men so they went from something like two percent of participants in their um, primary carer paid parental leave scheme um, uh, at Medibank and within a year, they'd gone up to about 32, I think, percent um, mm. fathers. So, like, some of this is all kind of like it's like behavioural psychology in a way. Yeah. Like, you sort of you, if you understand why people make the decisions that they make, then you've got a half a chance of being able to yeah, open exactly. up new avenues of behaviour. And what they worked out was that, you know, if men felt anxious about um, taking a whole chunk of time away from the workplace, well, okay, let's look at structuring it differently and say okay well would you like to work flexibly or take you know a day a week or you know be available and helpful in a way that helps you at home and makes you feel more confident in the workplace and more wedded to the place like it's actually a win-win sort of situation and in yeah. in the scheme of things it's not actually that expensive it's but it does a lot in terms of providing a workplace that people feel great about mm. sticking around. Isn't eliminating that category of primary and secondary carer? Mm. Because that's what's, ultimately that's a sexist well, category. Well it is, and the funny thing is that, I mean, I talked to Jenny Macklin who, um, you know, was responsible for introducing the first um, public scheme in Australia, and she said, well look, we adopted the language of primary carer um, because we didn't want to exclude same-sex parents and, you know, and um, I think that that is increasingly a global phenomenon and I understand the reasons behind it, but it's actually become this strange shorthand for mum and dad. Like, it's just... Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> to the extent that these employees are like, well, you're the primary care. Best of, on a minute. <laughs> the best of intentions were behind that, but yeah, it has translated yeah. to something pretty it's just, Well, it's just morphed into exactly what it was, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, which just is, using buzzwords. Which is really set. interesting. And I think, to be honest, if you're a same-sex parent you um, encounter all sorts of difficulties, you know, um, with the 
present system anyway. So like, yeah, yeah it's still the same kind of, you know, well, hang on a minute, which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> are you the mummy or the daddy lesbian? Prove it. <laughs> I know. Or the mummy so and the silly. daddy gay man. Like, yeah, exactly. That's even harder because you're not giving birth. Right, exactly. <laughs> Tricky. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Mm. Bloody, you're completely correct. Anyway, so look, I mean, one of the funny things about this scheme, about this whole question is like when you sit down and you consider it for a while, like how we behave as mm. a sort of, as a pack mentality in Australia, you're like, oh my God, why haven't we sorted this out? Yeah. Like, Because we've sorted out heaps of other stuff and... Um, we are still sorting out, you know, um, questions of discrimination um, and in workplaces. But this seems to be one that just, because it's sort of, I guess, men who have got the rubber end of the plunger, it's a bit less of a an urgent thing because, mm. well, you know, because they get the non-rubber end of the plunger at, you know, various other points of the, <laughs> of the workplace experience. But the truth is, it's all connected because every time you've got a father who feels compelled by forces that are not written down but are very powerful nonetheless to to be at work uh, a certain hour of hours a day and hours a week then you've got if that person is in a relationship with let's say a woman and they have a baby well then the expectations on him translate into expectations on her right like someone is going to have to Someone has to sort look after the kids. Right? Like kids don't look after yeah, themselves. Yeah, you can't just sort of take <laughs> yeah. a day off being a parent, right? So, um, so all of those things that are in place, those expectations on men, have like direct consequences, on average, um, on a woman somewhere. Like you know, um, notwithstanding same-sex relationships, and of course, single parents mm. who have like a completely different shit fight to, yeah. um, well, related, similar, and different um, to contend with. You know that. That grouping, you know, describes a big chunk of average Australia. Yeah. Well, I must say I feel much more optimistic having read the whole essay. Oh, good, yeah. Because I feel like there's a, there are things that can be done that would genuinely make a difference, not just yep. to what's available, but to the culture. Yeah. And I think, I hope it happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I am an optimist by nature, and I remember... When I was writing The Wife Drought, this was like a real nagging thing that I couldn't quite... I wanted to ask this question, like if... Because some people would sit me down and say, Annabelle, you know, no father wants to be at home, you know, at the witching hour or whatever. Like, <laughs> and like... Hey, look, I, I, I understand <laughs> that too. I mean, heaps of mothers are driven completely... <laughs> crazy by that little juncture you know that slice of the day where you know no adult patience gives out before you know uh childhood tantrum uh, tendencies anyway um but i i can't oh, i don't know i mean and maybe um that is you know that is something that men prefer to do that is my phone ringing i think it's probably um, not picked up on the microphone but um but i do you know there is the research that there is indicates that there is a significant proportion of fathers who would like to work differently but don't ask because they feel that they can't or that it's not really meant for them, that mm. flexible work and parental leave is something that's intended on some level for women and not for them. And like that is a really, really common mm. um, instinct among men. And so if you could just liberate that 
proportion of men to just do what they want to do, then I think it would make a significant difference. And, you know, that's what all of this is about, right? It's freedom. I mean, like, I would never suggest that men and women are identical or, you know, they respond to situations always in the same ways or whatever. But I think, well, you know, that's what evolution is supposed to be about, right? The evolution of freedoms and the ability to choose the way that you want mm. to operate your life in a way where the settings and your needs for family involvement and for professional success and for feeling, you know, as though you live in a work, you work in a workplace that values you and values you as a person, then the more freedom you have to choose what you want to do, the better, right? The happier you'll be. And yet it feels like there's this sort of bulldog clip that's still in place for, mm. for dads, which I think is yeah. really unfair. Well, it's, it's, it's an overall good thing for the entire society. It feels like a no-brainer to me, but obviously mm. I'm not the one who right. has to... Well, there you go. Uh, we've fixed it. <laughs> we fixed, fixed it. fixed it. Well, I'm glad <laughs> that we had the chance to fix <laughs> it. Thank you. I, I think I we'll would, have to wrap it up. Yeah, I think we would have to wrap We're very over time, but this has been a great chat. Oh, right. It really Thank has. Still, uh, by the, still by the essay, though, obviously. Yeah, you should There's a essay. whole lot of There's really so good stuff we haven't covered. There's so much more detail in the essay. There's, uh, you know, all the studies and stuff that you quote, are, they're really persuasive. So I would recommend anyone go out and read it. Um, and thank you so much for your time today, Annabelle. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And you can buy the quarterly essay, Men at Work, by Annabelle Crabb, uh, at booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.